0: Woo! slayers this is mixtress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about to which the answer to that question is every episode of buffy the vampire slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date guess what else today is today's anthony stewart head's birthday he played giles um in case you didn't recognize the name which means he, he is 71 today So the entire episode tonight is dedicated to Giles. (laughs) Um, So let's take a drink to Giles. I just spilled wine everywhere for the second time. Um, Not today, but remember that one time that I talked about the fact that I spilled wine for the first 20 minutes of the fucking podcast? I'm not going to do that this time. It wasn't as big of a spill this time. It's all good. I'm not even going to bother turning the light on to see how much damage it did because... (laughs) it soaked several pages of my notebook. No, actually only a few pages of my notebook. So it's not too bad. It's just a little spill this time. I need to get a more stable table, more stable table <laughs> or just not use. Anyway, whatever. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. Um, I want to kind of like I was going to, like, maybe talk about some more, like, updates to the whole Joss Whedon scandal fiasco fiasco thing, but I don't really know much more than what I said last week. Over the course of the week, there have been more um, people that have come forward to kind of back up Charisma Carpenter, and um, among those, David Boreanaz. I don't think that had happened yet by the time I recorded last week, Um, so... uh, like, the list of people that have come forward and, like, backed her up is growing longer. The only thing so far, I'm a little confused that, I mean, not, like, every single person that ever worked on the sets of Buffy and Angel have to say something, you know, I'm not necessarily holding them accountable for not saying something, but, um, I mean, even Nicholas Brendon, who plays Xander... Has said some things like he, he got a little bit too like he's he doesn't have a lot of a filter, um, so he he said a little bit more than um, p- people probably would have liked for him to say, um, meaning that like he he kind of said like of course he supports her and like he can understand how she went through that he had a closer relationship with Joss which makes sense because Xander is Joss's surrogate character you know Xander is him so it makes I it's kind of clicked into place that like some of the people that aren't really saying anything are the more nerdy characters so I'm wondering if Joss Whedon who is self-identifies as a nerd was more cruel towards the, like, the pretty people, such as Charisma Carpenter, and was nicer to the ones that he saw as being more like him, such as, um, Alison Hannigan and Alexis Denisoff, who are married, Willow and Wesley. They have not come forward to say anything, um, so far, as far as I know. I haven't checked, like, today, so I might be behind on that. But anyway, Again, I'm not going to harp on like who's come forward and who hasn't come forward. It doesn't mean that you're like culpable if you don't come forward, but I think <sighs> I'm just so curious as to how this shit plays out. You know, um I would love to read like a tell all about this situation. You know, I'd love to which is weird, like why am I obsessing so much? But anyway, I guess I don't really have an update. But we are going to celebrate Giles' birthday tonight. So let's get into it. First of all, we have to talk about the fucking Angel episode that aired 20 years ago today, which was called Reprise. According to the Nikki Stafford episode guide, the plot summary is as follows for this episode. As Wolferman Hart comes under its 75-year review, Angel discovers a ring that can take him to Wolferman Hart's home office. So this is an episode that is, it's actually pretty well done, honestly. Um, it focuses on most of the main characters, although it excludes Gunn, because at the very beginning of the episode he's like, um, I'm out of here, you guys are boring, or something. And then he's just not there for the rest of the episode. So they didn't see see him as being an important enough character to focus on in this episode, which I think is telling, but, um, essentially everyone was sort of losing hope in this episode. Angel is like, my first note was Angel is rude all the time now. Um, so Angel's just like super mean to everybody. Um, And he's just singularly focused on, like, what's going on with Wolferman Hart, what's going on with Darla. As per usual, this whole fucking season is just Darla obsession time. Um, Wolferman Hart, all the people that work there are freaking out because it's time for the 75-year review, which is apparently some super big deal. Um, Darla is staying at Lindsay's house. You can see she has some burns on her face still, and she's kind of recovering, Um, Drusilla has left and we know that because we saw her in the last episode of Buffy. Um, Darla in leather. (laughs) She shows up at one point wearing like a leather halter top and like leather pants and she looks good. She looks good. Um, Angel gets impaled with a sword, you know, I wonder how many times that's happened. Like already... It's happened on Angel and Buffy combined at least four times, maybe more. And I know it happened several more times. They just love impaling him with things. Um, Virginia, I I kept forgetting her name. Um, And they don't even, like, say her name hardly ever. But Wesley's girlfriend... um, that, she, that he's had for several episodes now. I kind of like her and I kind of wish she could have stuck around. But basically the, the whole point of this episode is that everyone's sort of losing hope. So, um, and really Cordelia is the only character that is sticking around that hasn't completely lost hope. So by the end of this episode, Angel, like, it's a little rapey. I mean, it's, it, it's triggering kind of parts of it. Like he basically just decides nothing matters anymore by the end of this episode. And he has sex with Darla, which I get why they wanted to take that as a plot point because they wanted people to be afraid that he was going to lose his soul by doing this. And his obsession with Darla is just built and built and built and built, built, (laughs) Just been building and building and building, and then this is the culmination of that. I mean, I get why they thought it was a good idea. Maybe it could have been executed better, and I would have agreed that it was a good idea, but it just doesn't work for me at all. And I know a lot of people really like this season of Angel. So it might just be me that's, like, super bored with this whole thing, but I just... I am I'm just super bored with this whole thing so I'm kind of glad that this is the episode where they finally consummate their obsessive relationship with each other I mean I guess consummate might not be the right word since you know they had sex together for centuries but this is the first time they've had sex in the 1900s at least I guess now it's 2001 anyway whatever I'm glad that that has happened just because it now probably means that the obsession with Darla is over. I'm pretty sure it's over now. Like, now that he's had sex with her, I think he's done after this. I hope. Like, I don't remember enough about Angel. I've only watched the series twice all the way through and I was not paying a lot of attention. I mean, not like I wasn't paying attention, but like, I wasn't you know, watching it critically like I am now. So I really don't remember how this all plays out, but I'm pretty sure he's done now. Um, so that's good. So as far as like the characters, how they end up at the end of the episode, I think that's how I'm going to talk about this particular episode. Cordelia hasn't given up. She's on her way to go, um, do something, help a client that's calling, but it's actually a trap. So I guess we'll see at the beginning of the next episode, how she gets out of that. Kate has been fired from her job and she has taken like a bottle of pills and she calls Angel and she's leaving a message on his answering machine when he gets in at the end of the episode and he hears it. And I don't know if he just wasn't paying attention or he just doesn't care. Like, he has reached rock bottom. He is almost more evil right now than we've ever seen him. And he still has his soul right now. Like, Angel's just not a good dude, ultimately. Like, I don't like him like this. Like, I can stand Angel just you know, I can barely just stand him on a good day whenever he's kind of making jokes and blah, blah, blah. And it's not David Boreanaz's fault because I fucking loved his character in Bones. Um, I watched that entire show and I kind of think it's cute. And I've probably said this before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I kind of think it's cute in general that like the first, God, how many seasons was Bones on? And it started like right after Angel ended. So he played the character of Angel, David Boreanaz played the character of Angel for eight years, because three years on Buffy and then five years on Angel. Then he immediately started on Bones and that show went for like 12 or 13 seasons. I'm not even kidding. I really think it was 12 seasons. I might be wrong and I don't feel like looking it up, so don't quote me, but you know if that's true then he spent 20 years playing characters that well i mean i guess that's not true as far as angel because he was the lead on that show okay so that's not entirely true but most of that 20 years he spent playing um as sort of like you know the non main character against a powerful woman you know because bones is about bones it's about um Emily Deschanel's character and Buffy is obviously about Sarah Michelle Gellar's character so yeah I mean I guess he got to have his own fucking show so that negates my point but I think it's just kind of cool in general that David Boreanis has spent much of his career playing characters that were supporting roles you know I don't know <laughs> He seems like a supportive guy. Everybody has nice things to say about him, although it seems like he played some really stupid-ass pranks, like he was naked all the time on set. So I don't know if we'll later find out that, like, David Boreanaz was being kind of shitty by doing that stuff or if it actually was in a funny way. I don't know. Anyway. Can exposing yourself to people unwittingly as a quote-unquote prank be funny? Truly? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, people in general seem to always have nice things to say about him. So I like to think that he's a good guy. Um, okay. What else do we have to say? Okay. So at the end of the episode, uh, Kate is, you know, she got fired. She's reaching out to Angel and she has taken a bunch of pills and she's drinking. So we have to assume that she is attempting to end her own life. Um, and he hears the message and just ignores it and goes upstairs to fuck Darla because she's there waiting for him for some weird reason. Oh, cause she wants to get that glove or whatever, whatever the glove and the ring, like who cares? MacGuffins, right? Um, Wesley has, Virginia has just left him. So he's just sort of laying on the couch and he's still recovering, um, from his gunshot wound yes, gunshot wound. That just happened. Um, and he just popped several stitches because he literally stood up to Angel when Angel was being super mean to Cordelia. Um, when he just burst in because he needs a certain book and he's just being an asshole. So, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of darkness at the end of this episode. I guess ultimately this episode was good. Um... If I kind of felt emotionally attached to the whole, if I cared more that Angel was being an asshole, I don't, it just doesn't work. I just don't think it works, him being an asshole to everyone and him being separated from everyone. Just like that whole plot line to me is just like, okay, when is this going to be over? It's almost like I'm waiting for someone to stop throwing a fit. You know how you just have to kind of wait it out when someone is... (laughs) having a temper tantrum I that's how kind of how I feel watching these episodes of Angel watching him obsess over Darla watching him do truly evil things with a soul I mean if Buffy could see him now like shit she would be like what the fuck is your problem douchebag um okay I'm going to I don't know Oh, I wrote down, and I think I said this last week, too, or maybe the week before. What's what's the deal with a- with Cordelia not having visions anymore? She hasn't had a single vision since, like, they broke off from the group. Um, since Angel kind of fired them. Or he literally did fire them. Um, Wolfram and Hart, having that party thing. Angel, like, the whole episode, he's just trying to, like... Get that glove and the ring and infiltrate Wolfram and Hart when they're about to have their 75 year ceremony so that he can go back to the home office um, when that, when the guy comes over from the portal, I whatever. And because his whole plan is if he can go back to Wolfram and Hart's home office as it's being called, then he can take out the evil that is Wolfram and Hart because he's just as obsessed with wolverman Hart as he is with darla to a certain extent and all of that culminates in like one of the head guys of wolverman Hart, who has already been killed he shows up and because his contract goes way beyond death whatever and he takes him on this elevator and there's like this like down button it's gonna be a long ride and there's elevator music and it's just it feels this whole thing feels so cliche and stupid i mean at this point 2001 this kind of plot device wasn't necessarily cliche and stupid but it that kind of thing i feel like has just been done so many times like okay we're going on an elevator down to hell like how many times have we seen this i don't know seems like a lot i'm just bored with angel i guess but and then at the end of the long elevator ride the door opens and it's just the same scene of earth and that's the thing that sets angel into existential despair because he realizes he's already living in hell he's already living in the home office of Wolferman Hart, and there's this whole like existential <laughs> i wrote what did i write Wolferman Hart is the concept of evil itself the home office is the human world. What the fuck? Everyone is evil. Is anyone worth saving? So that's kind of like the idea that Angel has at the end of this episode, that as long as basically the Wolfram and Hart guy was saying to him that as long as evil exists and evil exists in every single human being, and as long as evil exists, then Wolfram and Hart will exist in some form or another. It's not just an evil law firm. It's, I don't know, whatever. I get what they were trying to do, but it just, it didn't penetrate for me. Let me know if you guys like are smelling what they're stepping in. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not (laughs) like, I get what they're trying to do, but it's just not reaching me emotionally. And the, um, Yeah, so that's pretty much the episode. Pretty much. Angel spends the whole time trying to get this glove and the ring and, like, go back to the home office. And then he finds out that the home office is just... Is hell itself. And hell itself is just people and humanity. And then he is completely despondent and existential and he thinks... And nihilistic. And he comes home and Darla's there and he's just like, Let's just have sex because I want to feel something. Really? Really? really angel like i just don't like where they're taking his character i just it to me it just takes the wind out of everything that was built around his character on buffy you know the whole thing with angel his entire plot point is that he is on a redemption path that's the whole thing that's the whole premise of the angel show that's the whole premise of angel's character altogether. And this is just a train wreck to me. He's just, like, I get that he's having some sort of existential crisis because he's really sad that Darla lost her humanity or whatever. I don't know. This just isn't working for me. The fact that he can be driven to such lengths of extreme gross obsession with another human being that he can lock a bunch of humans in a room so that they will get eaten by Darla and Drusilla. He did that, that he can fire all of the people that really care about him just so he can focus more on his obsession. And it culminates in him having sex with Darla. That's really kind of brutal looking and upsetting. And it was, I just, don't like this and (laughs) I mean I still don't think I'm gonna stop watching Angel because I remember there being something I liked about Angel I mean despite season five I know I like season five of Angel because Illyria and Spike I love those two characters I mean of course we all love Spike but and I like Fred like does it actually get better while Fred is there because Connor was just now conceived right didn't that just happen this is the only time that Angel and Darla ever have sex and I know that Connor is their child how does she get pregnant because she's a vampire and so is he I have no idea I have no idea how they fucking explain this shit I don't remember but god it's infuriating okay I'm gonna take a little breather calm myself down and then we're going to talk about Buffy. Okay. I put on pajama pants. So I'm going to be much calmer now. <laughs> Let's talk about Buffy. Uh, because I very much enjoyed this episode of Buffy. Unlike the episode of Angel. I mean, the episode of Angel. I mean, I did like, I guess there were like... Whew, just bumped into the tripod. Sorry. Um, I guess there were some moments of like... I like where Wesley's character is going at this point. I like the character development that we get with Wesley, that we get with Cordelia. I like the fact that, like, sometimes we get to see... I I feel like I generally enjoyed the first season of Angel, but so far the season two is just total crap and I hate it. Okay, so according to the Nikki Stafford episode guide, I was made to love you. The plot is when Buffy realizes the new girl in town looking for her boyfriend is actually a robot programmed to love only one person, she knows the girl is dangerous. (laughs) Oh, I like Nikki Stafford's episode guide in general, but the plot summaries are pretty terrible. So this one is written by Jane Espenson and I love Jane Espenson. She's really good at the like nerd plots. So, um, And she's really great with, like, funny dialogue and just, like, wittiness and stuff. And so she's one of my favorite writers on Buffy. So happy to see it. Happy to have her. Okay. Um, I'm already gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you that the MVP for this episode is absolutely Giles. Like, not only is it, not only did this episode come out on Anthony Stewart Head's birthday, but also... It's, um, he is so backing Buffy up in so, in so many ways in this episode. So like my very first note is, um, like the episode just starts with Buffy like training and she's like, what did, what did I do? How, why does Spike, why is Spike in love with me? Like she's kind of like freaking out and Giles is listening. And at one point he says, you know, you can't be responsible for what Spike is thinking and feeling like he does the opposite of what, um, Joyce did in the last episode where she was like, Buffy, did you do anything like unintentionally to lead him on? And Giles is like, you're not responsible for what Spike thinks and feels. So yay for that. (laughs) I really liked that. Um, and just throughout this episode, Giles is very, um, supportive of Buffy. He's very protective of Buffy. Um, we'll get there. Um, I liked the whole moment with Puffy Xander. Xander was in like a sumo, one of those like puffy sumo training suit things. Um, I put those, one of those on once. (laughs) They are really, really hard to move around in, as you might expect. Um, Buffy's, like, obsessing about, like, will I ever find a good guy again? Blah, blah, blah. And Xander's sweet and comforting to her, and she hugs him while he's still in the little puffy sumo suit thing. Um, <laughs> I wrote down, at one point she says, um, Xander's like, just be yourself, because she's saying, like, maybe I need to laugh at men's joke, boys' jokes more. They like that, right? And then Xander's like, just be yourself. And Buffy's like yeah, so then I can terrify him with my alarming strength and remarkable self-involvement. <laughs> Which I like. Um, so many good lines in this episode because, you know, um, Jane Espenson is really good at that kind of stuff. Um, Xander says, well, maybe we just can't have good relationships because we are on a hell you know? Um, April shows up. I really like, okay, this scene with we see, um, Anya and Tara, apparently they have like, uh, some class together and they're like walking to the magic box or something after class. And they're talking, they're on campus and they're talking. And I really liked this scene because like, when do we ever get like a conversation between Anya and Tara? And it totally passes the Bechtel test because Anya's talking about like what she knows about website design and, um what she knows about finances and like investing and like they're talking about you know crazy grown-up shit that I don't understand and um it's just really sweet to see I just every time Tara has like a conversation with anybody that isn't Willow I'm just happy because Tara's just so self-assured now I just like her so much <laughs> um blah 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 Joyce is getting ready for a date. She looks really great. I'm already just like so upset this whole episode because it's like, I'm, I'm doing that thing where I'm like, oh my God, is this the last time Buffy sees her mom? No. Okay. She sees her again later. Is this the, you know, like the last thing that like Giles says to her, the last thing that Buffy says to her before she, they never see her alive again, you know, <laughs> like oh, the body next week. Yep. It's happening. Um, April runs into Tara and, um, Anya and asks for Warren and they're like, you know, they don't know Warren, whatever. So she goes, this is the introduction of April is just when they're walking, when they're talking after class. Um, then there's a party later that Buffy and Willow and Tara and Anya and Xander are all at. Which, why why is Xander at a college party? I don't know. Why is Anya at a college party? Why does Spike show up at the college party? Why is Ben at a college party? (laughs) I shouldn't be asking these questions. I know, because it's a TV show. Um, But, yeah. Ben is there for some weird reason, even though he doesn't go to school. He's, does he? No, he doesn't go to school I mean Buffy's not really this is like the last is this the last time like we're gonna see her like dropping classes and shit but are we gonna see her like ever in school again I don't think so I don't know I don't know for sure I'll be curious to see um so they're at this college party Ben decides or Buffy decides she wants to flirt with Ben He makes a cute joke. She's like, look at you, not in hospital clothes again. And he's like, actually, these are orthopedic pants. (laughs) Which I did actually laugh at that. Um, Oh, I really, okay, the quote of the episode. So April shows up at this college party, which makes sense that she would because she's looking for Warren, who goes to the college. But, um, so... She shows up and Anya's like, oh yeah, Tara and I met her before, earlier today. She speaks with a strange evenness and selects her words a shade too precisely. And of course that's awesome because she's also talking about herself. And Xander says, well, some people like that in a girl. And she just smiles at him and it's cute. Um, fucking Warren. Fucking Warren. I... I've been noticing lately that the wardrobe department, they are putting Tara and Willow in very similar clothing, um, at this point in their relationship. And I think it's to symbolize that they're on the same page that they are, you know, because they can't actually, the network won't allow them to show a lot of affection between them as girlfriends because, you know, gay phobia in society in 2001 was, actually a lot worse than it is now. Um, but so a way that they're symbolizing how close they are together, I think it's just kind of showing their similarities and wardrobe. So they match a lot of the time, you know, like if one of them's wearing flowers, the other one's wearing flowers. In this episode, they're both wearing tie dye in the scene at the party and the tie dyes like are color matching to each other. And it's pretty sweet. Um, Tara gets, she is tying for Outfit of the Episode with someone else later, but, so, her, her outfit at the party, for Best Outfit of the Episode, did I say that? Anyway, her outfit at the party is, like, this green and red tie-dyed, I can't totally tell, but it looks like it might be velvet, like some sort of like, I don't know how you would tie dye velvet, but it looks kind of like a tie dye pattern, like that sort of splotchy sort of early two thousands level of tie dye. And it was red and green, like a light green. And it was sort of like a top that like tied in the back or something. So it was kind of like a halter, but not because it had sleeves. It was really cool. And it was like backless and pretty and she had a skirt that matched and I don't think you could tell what her shoes were in the scene but she also had this red beaded like really long necklace that was um, doubled over so like part of it was like a choker and the rest of it was just really long and it had a some kind of little medallion pendant or something on it so great outfit so she definitely she definitely wins she's gonna have to share her title of outfit of the episode with someone else later but that that outfit was great um I liked the interaction between Buffy and Ben Uh, you know in an alternate universe they could have been a great couple but (laughs) he has to share his body with a hell goddess so it's just not gonna work out Um, I don't, I kind of, I'm kind of confused as to why he wouldn't seem hesitant to flirt back with her or go on a date with her. And he, he, he seems fine. He seems like he's reacting to her as if he's a normal boy, but he knows he's not. And he also knows that Buffy's the Slayer, I think, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah, he does. So... Unless he also forgets conversations that are had about Glory. But that's not true. We haven't seen evidence of that. So it's weird that he's not... Because we are supposed to see him as a good guy. But it's weird that he's not, like, being hesitant about this. He's totally fine with, like, yeah, sure, let's go on a date. And he's really sweet and charming. And, like, he gives her his number before they dance. Because he's maintaining that he's a terrible dancer or whatever. Then April throw a spike through a window and they all realize that she's a robot. Um, spike says something that we don't hear. That's incredibly inappropriate to April in her ear, which I just want to note because that's gross. Spike's not okay. He's not okay. I know we like him, but he's not okay. (laughs) It's not okay for us to like him, even though we do. he says this shit to Buffy. Like he shows up at the party and she's like, I thought I told you to leave town. And he's like, yeah, like I'm going to leave town. It's a free country. And then she's like telling him to leave the party or whatever. And he's like, put your hands on my hot, tight little body and make me or something like that. And at this point, I don't understand the switch that is flipped in him. It's like, as soon as you would think he'd be kind of insecure because he was pretty insecure about, like, you know, winning Buffy over. But as soon as she found out that he's in love with her and rejected him, he's more confident now? Like, I don't understand that. But, like, ever since he was outed as being super into her and he told her that he loved her and all that shit, did she... I mean, I hate to sound like Joyce... But did she do something that made him think, oh yeah, she does have feelings for me because he kept maintaining that she has feelings for him. But was there a reason for that? Or because he was super insecure before that moment of her finding out that he was in love with her. He was all like weird and tongue tied around her and stuff. And like, suddenly he's just like, no, you love me. You just don't know you love me yet. And like, he's, right i mean she doesn't love him but she's into him but so he's right about that but what indication has she given him that she that he's right about that at this point unless lady doth protesteth too much maybe like the fact that she's so vehemently against it that he knows that that means that she secretly likes... I don't know. I, I don't know what the logic is here. So I'm going to try not to, like, obsess over that at this exact moment. Because I'm sure I'm going to obsess about so many tiny aspects of their fucking relationship. Even though I've already done it. I'm going to be doing it for the next, like, year and a half or so. Two years. I mean, really. <laughs> um. Let's see. There is obviously some jealousy. Like... I mean, Spike across the room, he sees Buffy flirting with Ben and he's jealous, of course. And, but you also get this tiny little moment where Buffy is sort of like glancing in his direction in sort of a jealous way while he's talking to April. So right before she throws him through the window. So just anyway, I'm just, I'm noticing that she is actually into him this early on. For the first time in this particular rewatch so that's why I'm pointing this shit out so sorry Buffy says in um, when she's talking to everybody about it after after they all realize she's a robot and they're talking about it after the party is over she's like I've had it with strong little women who aren't me <laughs> Xander I like his like you know talking about carpentry shit You know he talks about the window and how it needs to be replaced and like all this stuff and I just thought it was cute. I just, like, think it's cute. Xander has found a way to help with the Slayer. You know, he doesn't have super strength. He's not a witch. But he can rebuild shit when, you know, all the violence that surrounds him in his life destroys the property around him. He can rebuild Buffy's fucking house. You know, he can rebuild the dorm or whatever, wherever they are. They're in some school building. Um... Buffy goes to relieve Giles because she had him babysit Dawn while she was at the party and while, um, Joyce is on her date and he's complaining about having to sit around and talk about boys (laughs) and Joyce comes home from the date as they're like talking in the doorway and Giles is getting ready to leave. Um, and, Joyce is like, who wants to hear everything? (laughs) And Buffy's like, do you want to stay so you can hear my mom talk about boys? And he's like, out of here. Okay. Bye, Joyce. And that's the last time he sees her alive. (sighs) Okay. Sorry. April's going door to door. She's just obsessively looking for Warren. And we get sort of um, the next morning, everybody's meeting at the magic box and kind of like talking about you know the April situation and like what do we do and they put it together that obviously um she's a sex bot and there's some like Xander sexist crap that he says about like who wouldn't what guy hasn't thought about it it's cute that like Giles is oblivious as to what she could what her purpose could be like why would Warren build a robot what could her purpose be he's totally confused by it and everybody's like, well, obviously she's a sex bot. <laughs> um, and Xander's like, what guy hasn't thought about it? A, a woman that will do whatever you want and blah, blah, blah. And he just says all this stupid sexist awfulness. And every girl at the table is looking at him like, you're disgusting. This is gross. Um, so that was a good moment that like Jaws was oblivious to it. And then Xander says, I wish Oz were here. He'd understand. Like, would he though? That's not what Oz's character is like. Like he should have said Riley, maybe. I mean, he was closer with Riley than he ever was with Oz. Anyway, here we get to Willow kind of sympathizes, though. Like, they're talking about, like, what would lead a person to doing something like this. Creating a sex bot, whatever. And Willow gets it. She's sympathizing. Like, I found that a little bit, a little tiny bit of a red flag. And I think they put that in there on purpose. You know, that she would be the one that would kind of be, like, obviously Xander said some shit. But... um, it, it makes sense to me that they would put that in there because you know of the the links that and Jane Espenson has a big part to play in sort of Willow's character arc next season as well. So it makes sense. Um, so I just, I just noted that, that she was like, Oh, Willow's sympathizing with Lauren. She gets it for some reason. Okay. Um, of course, I wrote Buffy in the shirt because she's wearing that fucking red shirt. She's wearing it for like half the episode, maybe even more. Um. Okay, so the other winner sharing with Tara outfit of the episode is Ben. We see him like shift from Glory to Ben when Buffy is calling him to try to set up a coffee date. And he's wearing the dress that glory was obviously wearing before they shifted and i love a guy in a dress so uh, he gets it <laughs> he gets the other part of the his toenails were not painted though which of course they wouldn't be but i i looked i checked um i was listening to uh, an interview with claire kramer i think that's the right who plays um, Glory, and she was talking about how during the casting process they were making sure that both her and the actor that played Ben have similar face structures. And at first she didn't know why. They didn't tell her. They didn't even tell her that she was playing a god at first. They didn't tell her until like it was in the script. And they didn't tell her that Ben was Glory and Glory was Ben until it was in the script. So she knew, like, like, are we siblings? Like, she knew that there was a connection between them, because of the fact that they wanted to make sure that that the actors had very similar face structures so that they could do the morphing technology thing. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, Warren is. Every single second on screen that we see him with his actual real human girlfriend, Katrina, he's being awful to her. Every single second. Warren is the worst. I hate Warren. Um, he's just being shitty to Katrina. He tells her to wait in the kitchen at one point and tells her to shut up. Luckily, she runs out as soon as he says that. Um, Spike shows up at the magic shop. I really, really like this scene. He shows up in the magic shop with his fucking blanket, like he does, and the blanket's on fire. And um everybody's there except Buffy, so it's I don't know if Anya's there, but definitely Dawn, Xander, Willow, Tara, and Giles for sure. I don't remember if Anya's in the scene or not. I think she is. But anyway He shows up and he's like, you know, acting like he's a part of the group again. Like, what's going on? What's the deal with the Sabrel chick? Oh, she's a robot. You know, he's just trying to act like everything's normal. And I just thought this scene was so important. He's trying to act like everything's normal. And from the minute, because Anthony Stewart Head is such an amazing actor, from the second he recognizes Spike walking in the door, his face changes. He turns into a wall. And he he goes all protective dad on Spike and I just thought it was so sweet like I got a little teary-eyed I just I really liked the scene when Giles flips that switch and becomes threatening you know he only ever does it when he has a good reason and so it's always powerful to see it happen so he just like she shuts Spike down. Spike's trying to explain, you know, Buffy probably told you some stuff and she misrepresent she misrepresented things and blah, blah, blah. And it reminds me kind of of the statement that Marilyn Manson made after all the allegations came out against him a couple of weeks ago. He made a statement that was essentially that, like, saying that all of his relationships were always consensual with like-minded people, and regardless of how or why, I have some of the statement memorized apparently, people are choosing to misrepresent the past, that is the truth. That's how he said it. So that for some reason, this just reminded me of that. That, like, Spike is trying to say, like, I don't know what she told you, but, but we, we were fighting side by side. Drew was up to no good and we defeated her and, like, and Giles shuts him down unequivocally. Setting boundaries, left and right. I love it. He says, we are not your friends. We are not your way to Buffy. Move the hell on. So, I like that. I like that. Not only is he being protective dad, but he also kind of levels with Spike. Like he's being very stern, but he just sort of looks him straight in the eyes and says, get over this thing. Move the hell on. We are not your way to Buffy. So he's still, even though he's being super stern and setting a very clear boundary and like his disdain for Spike is evident it's not over the top it's not the lady doth protesteth too much with him it is still compassionate he's being compassionate to spike while also not leaving any room for for any no wiggle room it's boundaries all around and i just re- i think this is the most powerful scene in this episode and it really it was really good um So then we get, Buffy's talking to Warren and he's kind of explaining, I didn't really like this sort of distinction. I don't know what they were trying to say with this, but if they were trying to make us more compassionate towards Warren, I don't know. But he was saying, she's not just for sex, you know, she's, she's the full package. She's a girlfriend. She, she cares about me, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how does that make this better? This doesn't make this better you just wanted the girlfriend experience with your robot. Okay. (laughs) That doesn't make it any better. Um, then there's, um, April runs into Katrina. So she's getting close to where, um, Warren is at this point. So, um, and April says to Katrina or Katrina says to April something like, Warren is my boyfriend and April gets upset um, and she like cracks her ribs or something. Um, what's Spike making a Buffy box? Oh, we see Spike like after he's left the magic box, he's like throwing all of his pictures of Buffy and all of his like mementos and the wig and everything. He's putting it all into a box um, that says two of two on it. Did Spike actually label it? Like, I don't see Spike as labeling a box. (laughs) So maybe it just said two of two from the last person that used that particular box. Um, Warren mentions that he made April, like basically he says something to Buffy, like they're looking for her. And, um, he says that if he calls out to her, if she hears him, she has to answer or else she gets like sort of a pain feedback if she doesn't answer him. And Buffy's like, you made it so she's in pain if she doesn't answer you? (laughs) Like, really? Um, And then, oh, I wanted to, I paused it. So we see from April's point of view for a second in this scene with April and Katrina and Buffy and Warren when they all catch up with each other. And we see like sort of her like file paths and stuff like that. And she has 19 parameters on her little screen. Um, Two different kissing parameters, like file types, kissing one, kissing two. She's got six positions, three fetishes, and four sex, like whatever the sex, four different sex types, six different positions within those four sex types and three fetishes and two kissing parameters. She has 19 parameters total. And let's see, how many is that? Six plus two eight nine to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So 15 out of 19 of her parameters are for sex. And the other ones were still all about Warren. Like one of them was compassionate listening or sympathetic listening or something like that. And one of them was neck rubs. One of them was praise. So, I mean, it was all, every single thing about her was programmed to, be all about Warren, but, and he also programmed her with like Kung Fu and Jiu Jitsu so that she could protect Warren, I guess. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) And then, um, there's a Buffy versus April scene. Warren gets away with, um, Katrina and then we see Buffy being compassionate towards April, which I really liked. You know, she's sitting on the swing set with her as her batteries are dying, and they're just sort of waiting her out, waiting for her batteries to die, I guess. It was never... It was never talked about that there was, like, an off switch or anything. Like, surely there would be, but that was never discussed. They just wait for her batteries to die. Oh, and we find out that, like, Warren's entire, like, thing, you know, he met a real girl, and he and he said she was unpredictable. <laughs> yeah she's a real human being unpredictable wow and so he just didn't want his fake girlfriend anymore she was too perfect and instead of like actually I don't know deactivating her breaking up with her instead of doing any of that stuff he just decided to ghost her and wait till her batteries died so he's so shitty um so Buffy sits with her on the swing set and waits for her batteries to die and talks to her and sympathizes with her and Buffy's like, maybe if you can cry sometimes I feel better when I cry and April's response is, crying is blackmail good girlfriends don't cry wow, that brought me back does it bring you back? (laughs) remember that bullshit? remember assholes saying that shit to you? Thankfully, that hasn't happened to me in a very long time. But yeah, I remember that being a thing where you would just be like so upset over, you know, like being just so fucking frustrated, being gaslit and abused that you just cry out of frustration and that just sets them off even more because you're trying to elicit sympathy out of them. Like, no, you just made me cry because you're an asshole. That's all. (laughs) god then we get a scene with um Xander fixing the window at the dorm and he's talking about carpentry and it's just cute it's just a cute little genuine Jane Espenson is really good at writing like genuine character moments like we get like that moment between Anya and Tara just felt like a very genuine like Just a regular moment. You know, this conversation between Xander and Buffy feels like a regular moment. He's fixing a window. She's talking about boyfriend shit. He's counseling her on boyfriend shit. And it just, it feels regular. It feels like a real friendship. You know, she's good at, Jane Espenson is really good at writing, like, friendship conversations and stuff. I really like it. I'm just, is this the first episode she's written? Surely not. But it feels like it's a new energy, almost. It feels refreshing. Um, anyway, so Buffy just decides during the course of this conversation that she doesn't really want to date Ben. She doesn't want to date anyone. She's been kind of like obsessing a little bit on like finding a boyfriend and will she ever find a normal guy and blah, blah, blah. And she's just decided she wants to be alone with Buffy for a while. And I think that's sweet. It's a sweet moment. Um, of course this is A cute little sweet moment that we get right before she goes home and she walks in the door and she sees the flowers that Joyce's person that she went on a date with left her. And then we see in the background, Joyce on the couch and we know what's about to happen. And she says, mom, what you doing? Mom, mom mommy. (laughs) And I'm surprised I'm not crying right now, but somehow I'm not. Um, because like, oh God, I just like, I am so, for some reason, I'm the type of person that like, if something really emotional happens, like on a TV show or a movie or whatever, I typically don't cry the first time I see it. But if it's something that I revisit, like this episode, of Buffy I this will be I don't even know like the sixth time seventh time it's probably somewhere around there that I've seen every episode of Buffy so eighth time I don't know I've seen Buffy lots and lots of times maybe even more than that um so the more times I see something that's genuinely upsetting the more upsetting it is to me like I feel like that's not normal but For some reason, that's the way that I react to things. (laughs) Like, the first time I see something super upsetting on movie and TV, even if I care about the characters, I'm probably not going to cry the first time. But that... This is... I'm going to be a mess next week. Because it's just so hard. I will be crying the entire time I'm watching that episode, and I will have to watch it at least twice... I've never, like, tried... I did do, like, a Buffy blog recap, like, back in, like, 2011, 2012. Um, So I know I've, like, watched Buffy with a critical eye and taken notes before. But I think I didn't really even take notes. I think I just... Well, I mean, I just wrote the blog. I think I would just pause the episode and, like, type into my computer and post it. I don't... I kind of don't even want to revisit those blogs because they're probably terrible, but they still exist, mixtressray.com. That's an old blog. I probably have some problematic thoughts on there somewhere that I should probably delete. Go back and see, like, wow, how backwards was my thinking 12 years ago? If you want to know, if you feel like canceling me, (laughs) I probably had some problematic thoughts when I first started that blog in like two thousand eight or whenever it was. But anyway. Um it it will be probably even more upsetting for me to like watch it with like while taking notes for it and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it'll probably like most things, like really dive in into the trauma and trying to wrap your head around it usually is a healing and cathartic process, but I'm already kind of, I've, in order to comfort myself, like preparing to watch that episode, I have sort of like told myself, okay, you know, I do have the vault where I put episodes that I don't ever want to watch again. And so far I've only put two things into it, the pack and Ted. So This could end up being in, I think in the beginning, I was thinking to myself, I will allow myself to have three episodes that I put in the vault. Meaning that once I watch them in this context and, you know, take notes and talk about them with you guys, I'm allowed to put them in the the metaphorical vault and I will never have to watch them again. I don't know if I will decide to do that with the body because I do think it's a really really good episode of television you know through all of his terribleness Joss Whedon knows how to make an impact with something something big he knows how to make a grandiose gesture of art you know he made once more with feeling he he made hush he made the body he's made a handful of episodes of television on Buffy in specific that are iconic episodes because he, he knows how to do that shit. Like, but I am considering, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll decide. We'll decide next week. What do you guys think? Do you think I should put the episode, the body in the vault so that I never, ever, ever have to watch it again after next week? I'm leaving my options open for that at the moment because I think at this point in my life, I have watched it enough times and it is really, I had forgotten that that scene at the very end of this episode exists you know I I didn't remember how this episode ended I just I just remember this episode as being the one before the body so I didn't remember that you actually get to see Joyce on the couch like the crying has already begun I forgot that I was not ready and yeah and okay So I'm not sure if this is intentional, but I noticed it. Where was it? The scene, okay. The scene right before Buffy goes home and finds her mom on the couch when she's having the conversation with Xander at the college and he's putting the window back together, which no one else is around at all. Like, isn't it during the daytime (laughs) and Dawn's at school? So it's definitely a school day. Anyway, whatever. You get to hear like birds in the background. You can hear birds in the background, which makes sense because he's fixing a window. So like the window isn't, the glass isn't in yet. So it makes sense that you would hear some outside nature sounds creeping in, but it was just particularly upsetting because it reminds me of the fact that we hear those same birds like probably half an hour from now. (laughs) We hear those birds birds when Mo- when she, co- Buffy goes home and sees her mom, you know, because there's no music in that episode, which is one of the reasons why that episode is so effective. because um, there's no music and anyway, it's okay. I need to stop like worrying about how I'm going to handle it because that's a week from now. So everybody get ready, get your tissues ready, be ready for some trauma. Or if you want, you can just skip it. You know, if you're listening to this episode in the future and it's like past 2021, I hope everything's good. Um, (laughs) and you just don't want to go through that trauma. You can go ahead and skip right past it because after that, let's see, I think we have a little bit of a break. Yeah. Yeah. There's no episodes of Buffy to talk about in March at all. And then we come back. Wow. April 17th. So after next week, we have a whole like month and a half (laughs) break um, before we come back to talk about the next episode after the body. So, but I will see you guys next week. Um, Let's do, are there any ratings I haven't done yet? MVP, like I said, was Giles. The quote was Anya whenever she was describing April, and she said she speaks with a strange evenness and selects her words a shade too precisely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Our beautiful little uh, autistic Anya. Um, outfit is Ben in the red dress, and also Tara. I mean, really, Tara's outfit was better, but it was just nice to see Ben in a dress. You no. Know. Um, Object of the episode I feel like I've definitely picked this before but I'm gonna pick it again because I can't think of anything else um I'm gonna go with the beaded curtains that are at the magic box I'm like almost positive I've picked that before but anyway five by five what is my rating out of five for this episode as far as enjoyability like besides the fact that like the looming doom of the body is hanging over this episode the entire time I'm watching it. Despite that, um, it's a really well-done episode. There's a lot of great little character moments, a lot of genuine moments. Jane Espenson rules. I love her so much. Um, So, I mean, it's a good episode. And I think it, I didn't even really talk about this, but, like, obviously, like, the underlying, like moral of the story in this episode is what is it's like you know allegories between like sex dolls porn you know like what are the moral implications behind like getting what you want at the expense of morality really like You know, it should be obvious to us when Spike goes to Warren and tells him to make her, make him a Buffy bot, you know, we see that scene, I just kind of glossed right over it, but the implications of that are pretty damn gross, you know, Um, and I think, like, the weight of that, we need to take a second with that, you know, like... I know I'm always pointing out why we shouldn't like Spike but that's a big deal it's a big deal that he would be willing to do that because we spent this episode you know really judging Warren for being so disgusting and Spike he doesn't care you know you think he's putting shit in a box so that he can try to move on from Buffy but that's not what he's doing at all because he's evil because he has no soul he's not going to learn any lessons he's not going to be able to respect any boundaries because he's evil and he's single-mindedly obsessed you know all that disgusting stuff about Angel being obsessed with Darla we're seeing that same thing here with Spike's obsession with Buffy it's not love it's obsession and anyway on that note <laughs> um yeah i, I feel like i thought i had something profound to say about the whole like men creating sex bots and like that's a thing like like i mean i don't really know anything about it so i'm sure that technology has gotten way more advanced since i knew about it but i remember even back 20 years ago when this episode came out there were like really realistic sex dolls and I'm sure oh god I just I don't even want to think about that it's like I don't want to be like kink shamey you know like but I'm not I'm not very good just so you guys know I'm not great at being sex positive because I'm I can I identify as gray sexual which is basically asexual light (laughs) kind of um so because of that, I know I som- I sometimes come off as a prude because, yeah, I won't go into all of it, but like, it's, I, a lot of that kind of stuff, like when it comes to like porn or sex dolls or, you know, like weird sex stuff that's like, just, uh, I call a lot of things weird sex stuff because I just sort of have a problem And I don't know, I'll never know how much of my identification as gray sexual, how much of that is linked to trauma and how much of it is I was just born that way. I will never know. But I know that I sometimes, just in case I ever come off to you guys as being like not sex positive or anything like that, um, like definitely like call me out on it. I'm totally willing to learn, you know, I'm totally willing to grow and learn and all of that stuff. I do not want to ever sound like kink-shamey or anything like that. But I do, and I do think the further we get into the relationship between Spike and Buffy, the more that sort of ugly side of me not being very good at being sex positive will come out. Um, But I want you guys to know that... I don't, I don't mean to come off that way. And like, it's, it's a, it's a, a blind spot that I know that I have. Blind spot's not really the right word, but it's a, it's a failing that I know that I have. (laughs) Like, anyway, (laughs) um, I don't really know what I'm saying about that because I don't want to, I come off as being very judgy of like, anything like that, like porn, like, you know, having a sex toy, sex bot, like that kind of stuff really, really viscerally upsets me, but that doesn't necessarily mean because it viscerally upsets me that it's unequivocally wrong. So like, I don't want to be judgy is what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't want to be so judgy, but there's, there's reasons for it and it also might be that I was just born a certain way it also might have to do with being autistic I don't know I'm just letting you guys know that if I've ever come off that way and if I come off that way in the future um, like definitely call me out on it and talk to me about it but like anyway (laughs) I don't know what I'm trying to say it's a failing that I know I have I guess um, is where I'm going with that. So now that I've made myself all nervous and sweaty, <laughs> uh, let's end the episode, shall we? Um, oh, I didn't actually give a rating. It was an enjoyable episode. I'm going to give it a four because it's genuinely good, but it's definitely not one that I would think of as like one of my favorites, but it's a good episode. And I think it is enjoyable. So I'm going to give it a four. Let's write it down. I don't always do that. Okay. Thank you guys for listening to my crap, and I will see you next week. Bye!